Why? Why does it take till Texas to figure it out? All right, we're back. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mainline Podcast. It is Tuesday, September 7th. I'm your host, Tyler Burton. As always, I'm joined by Adam Jacquez and Corbin Polson. We hope everyone enjoyed their long Labor Day weekend with friends and family. Hopefully it was filled with some college football because there were a lot of good games across the country and even a few games that kind of left you scratching your head a little bit uh, when it was over. And we'll dive into that here in just a minute because there was definitely some head-scratching moments uh, and a few choice words being said coming out of the stadium in Norman on Saturday. But uh, we thought about podcasting after the game, but we said, you know what? Let's enjoy the holiday weekend. Let's let this marinate, get our thoughts together. So with that being said, Corbin, Adam, how are we doing? Man, the biggest win of the weekend is I didn't get sunburned, which is absolutely amazing. So I'll take that uh, and not focus too much on the negatives. Yeah, guys, I mean, could have asked for, I think, a little bit of a better game. Uh, It felt like K-State of last year. I don't know if you guys had that same feeling uh, late in that game. But, uh, but yeah, avoiding sunburn, you know, heat stroke, all that stuff I know you guys were dealing with. Just glad, you know, you're both alive at the end of it. That's all. Yeah, I look a lot better than I do that right now than I did coming out of the game on, on Saturday. But, no, it was a very good weekend. I took a half day on Friday, uh, played a little bit of afternoon golf. Anytime you can get some golf in during the work week uh, is always a bonus. But, no, I'm, I'm a, I was about as sunburned as I've ever been. But uh, drank some beer, hung out with the family, had some pretty good food, and, you know, not a whole lot to complain about. But, there are a lot of things that I can and am going to complain about when it comes to the OU Tulane game on Saturday. So, uh, guys, let's get into that. Oklahoma survives an incredible performance from the Green Wave, winning 40-35. to Just want to preface the things we're going to talk about by saying a couple things here. Guys, we all know about all the work that goes on behind the scenes, the logistics um, of all the things that go into executing a home football game. So, first and foremost, we've got to give a shout-out to OU's administration, just to name a few. Joe C., of course. Uh, Patrick Nolan, the Ticket Ops crew, Andy Hageman and the Ticket Sales staff at Sooner Club, Michael Byrne and, and his crew with Game Day Operations. So for OU to put all that together in a handful of days and execute it the way they did, unbelievable job by everyone involved. Number two for me, the three guys here on this podcast, as talented as we were, not a single one of us played Division One football at this level. So the points that we make and the criticisms that we hand out on these podcasts, they're not meant to be harsh. They're not meant to be mean. Um, we're never going to unfairly trash one particular player or coach, but we I feel like we know the game of football well enough. We've watched enough tape over the years uh, to, to know when something is wrong. So, uh, you know, la- I want to put that out there. And last but not least, I think I'm speaking for all three of us when I say that Oklahoma fans better give Tulane some damn credit for the game, for the way that this has played out. Willie Fritz had his football team ready to play. They played harder than Oklahoma. They came out motivated, inspired, and you could just kind of tell from the jump that they were the more physical football team for four quarters. So um, start with Michael Pratt Jr. We'll get into that here in just a second. But Adam, throwing this over to you, man, just kind of what were your initial thoughts as uh, as you walked out of the stadium on Saturday? Well, I have been waving the Tulane is good flag for a couple months now. <laughs> And probably more than anybody else, but they're not that good. <laughs> so, um, but credit to them. I mean, they came out and they played a, a really good game. They never quit. They never gave up. Uh, Michael Pratt, you know, played one of the toughest games out there. Um, just later that evening, we saw uh, DJ Uyunga Lale. If I'm saying, it, I'm I'm probably saying it wrong. I think I said it right at one point earlier in the year. Now I've totally forgotten. But look, I mean, look at what happened with him with the defensive line. He was rattled. He was shaken. Um, you know, he 
couldn't score an offensive touchdown uh, at Clemson there. But Michael Pratt, you know, on the other hand, he was tough as nails, um, just kept coming back, hitting us in the mouth. And uh, a team that really just didn't quit. Um, and I'm talking about Tulane, not OU at this point, because uh, I think there was a little bit of quit on OU sideline. Yeah, guys. I mean, I, I agree with Tyler and since we want to want to preface everything we're saying here. And I do want to just run down real quickly. Um, this weekend was weird in college football in general. If we just take a quick look and set OU aside, um, you know, you've got Virginia Tech beating UNC. Charlotte beats Duke. And I understand Duke's not good, but it's still Charlotte. Um, Wisconsin loses at home to Penn State. Oregon survives Fresno State. Mississippi State had to come back late to beat Louisiana Tech. Iowa State survived Northern Iowa. Oklahoma State held on to beat Missouri State. UTSA beat Illinois. There were game after game after game after game that were just weird and bizarre. And even watching the game in Norman on TV out here in Denver, it just felt off. And I'm curious to feel hear how you guys felt in the stadium. It wasn't full. The crowd seemed to be mixed reactions. Uh, and so the whole game itself just kind of felt strange from the start. And then all of a sudden you have a terrible start from the offense. The defense looks lost the first two possessions. By halftime, you thought the game was over. I know I did. I was like, back on track, blow them out, 30, 40-point win. We're good to go. Clearly I was giving the halftime um, speech because the players all thought the same thing, which is not what you want to see. So, guys, it just felt weird. I think after I had to take a second to just kind of like let it sit for a bit, I'm hoping this was just a – a, a strange storm of kind of everything happening the right way where it's just, this is a one-off game, one that by middle of the season, we won't be talking about anymore because this team's back on track. That's my hope. But you know, I don't think we're going to find that out for a couple of weeks. It was definitely weird. I mean, there was probably fewer fans there than there is for a spring game. Uh, if you're asking me or maybe around the same, uh, you know, the atmosphere was just different and understandably. So when you're playing a game with about four days notice, I mean, there wasn't as much fanfare, on the video boards, the timeouts were pretty barren, understandably so, of course, but it just all leads into it. Even the band wasn't in uniform. They were, you know, wearing t-shirts. Um, so it, there's just so much there just kind of felt like a, a little bit of a glorified scrimmage like the spring game is. So I, I'm hopeful that this Saturday and who the team we're playing, sorry, Western Carolina, like they're going to get blown out, but I, I'm hopeful that the energy and the fans are excited there and that, just, you know, usually at the beginning of the year, you have that game that no matter who you're playing, everyone's just so excited to be back and playing football. And it doesn't matter. But I wonder if that excitement level is going to go down a little bit after half the fans got to go to the game last Saturday. Yeah, and I think uh, Lincoln in his press conference today, he kind of echoed that, how much they were looking forward to this upcoming weekend when you're going to have a full capacity. You're going to have 85,000 fans there. It is going to be a night game kickoff. There, It's a big recruiting weekend. They're going to have a lot of guys coming into town this weekend. So you would expect it to be back to that normal atmosphere that we're used to when it comes to a sold-out Oklahoma football game. But, no, Adam, you're exactly right. It was it was just weird on, on Saturday. The, I think that they announced that the attendance was around 42,000. Um, I don't know, 42,000, that probably is the number of tickets that they sold. There were probably not 42,000 fans there. Uh, but, no, it was just weird. It was extremely hot. Um, the energy level was low. Uh, and kind of like what you said, you know, getting you know punched in the mouth like we did. 
those first two, you know, defensive series, it was uh, it, it was just weird altogether. But Adam, you did research Saturday afternoon on Oklahoma's struggles with with blowing leads, especially after getting up big in the first half. That tweet of yours went viral, so shout out on that. But this is the thing that probably bothers me the most coming out of Saturday. It's not the missed assignments, it's not the bad angles, the penalties, the turnovers. Oh, you can fix that, and I think that we we could probably uh, you know trust that Oklahoma is going to be able to do that. But for me, it's the inability to put four four quarters, four consecutive quarters of football together. And guys, this is becoming a, pr- a problem with this program that we're seeing on an annual basis. You know, Tulane goes up 14-7 to after two really good scripted drives. Willie Fritz, we knew they were going to. They threw the kitchen sink at Oklahoma, and it, it worked. And I said this during the episode last week that Tulane had the personnel and the coaching to give OU some fits, especially early on, and they did that. Now, um, I didn't think that I would be on the edge of my seat with two minutes left watching Austin Stogner, you know, botch uh, an onside kick where Tulane has a chance to go win it, but – uh, you know, you've got to give Michael Pratt and this football team um, a, a whole lot of credit. And, you know, here's my biggest appointment, got, disappointment, guys. And, Corbin, I'm going to throw this back over to you. OU time and time again, they take the third quarter off. Guys, when you turn on Alabama, they don't give a shit if they're playing Mercer, Georgia Southern, Georgia, Auburn, Clemson. Every time they take the field, they're trying to embarrass you and they're trying to kick your ass. And OU, that's just OU just doesn't do that. So they finally ride to the ship at the end of the first quarter. They scored 30 unanswered points to take the 37-14 lead into half. And, you know, then they come out and only score three points uh, in the second half. And, you know, God bless Gabe Burkich for being on this football team and his leg. He probably won OU the game. And we're having a completely different conversation right now if they weren't. But, you know, with this team against Tulane, OU's inability to deliver the, uh, the the knockout blow has burned them time and time again, and it almost did on Saturday. Yeah, and it's it's hard to compare this team and this coaching staff to one of the greatest dynasties in college football history and what we're seeing right now in Alabama, and I get that. But they are the standard that we are just slightly below. And so if that's not where you're trying to reach – then what, then what are we doing? So my, my thought process there is, as you know, uh, we are compared to Alabama quite a bit and we fall short quite a bit, but what's, who is that team then? If, if Alabama is not who you're going after, then who is that team that you're, you're, you're trying to reach for? And you're spot on Tyler, Alabama doesn't deal with this stuff. They don't. And it's, it's, it's become more and more concerning. This was a feeling I had more so last year, I think, than I had in years past, seeing some leads slip away, seeing some quarters where the offense just disappears. Um, that isn't typical of a Lincoln-Riley offense that we got used to with a Baker, with a Kyler, and even a Jalen, to be honest. Um, and so seeing that from this very much put on a pedestal, Heisman winner, number one overall draft pick quarterback – it's very concerning. And to score, I, yes, there were issues on the defensive side of the ball, but to score three points against Tulane in an entire half of football, I, guys, I had more questions about the offensive side of the ball than I did the defensive side. And I believe those three points were off of a turnover around midfield. So the offense barely moved to get into position yep. for that, that mm-hmm. second half field goal. And it's, it's frustrating. Um, and honestly, I think I've seen patterns of this going back to 2017. I'm thinking specifically of the TCU game. Oh, you got up really big in the first half. Uh, and then in the second half, Lincoln Riley basically just grinded everything to a halt, running the ball, running the clock, ended up working out. TCU was kind of just finished at that point. Um, I think he did that more or less to protect his defense and to not have them on the field nearly as much in those years. 
nowadays, I, I'm not sure what it is. Um, because when you come out of that locker room in the second half and you're up 37 to 14, if your switch is off, you can't turn that switch back on. You know, you can't just start, you know, motivating three quarters of the way through a game when it's a hundred degrees outside and you're mentally already checked out. Um, and so that's tough. Now, I don't know if there was more going on, um, throughout the entire game because as a fan mentally, like I was prepared to sit on my couch Saturday and just watch a full slate of college football games while the team was in new Orleans and that changed. And so I don't know if the team felt that same type of mentality change of I'm going to go get on a plane. I'm going to be at the team hotel. I'm going to be focused. And now they're not. And so maybe that led to some, you know, some of the start and some of the finish, um, there, but I, what is said at halftime, honestly, that leads to this type of constant, um, you know, letdown in the second half. I think there's got to be a confidence in the coaching staff that their best is better than anybody else's. So whether your foot's off the gas, whether this is for to save film against upcoming opponents, if this is to save personnel, your best is better than anybody else's best. So as long as your foot is on the throttle, you should be able to handle whatever should be on the schedule, whatever's going to happen on a week-to-week basis. Anything that could be a possible reason for this to be happening shouldn't. Um, if they genuinely believe that. So that kind of tells me that maybe they don't believe that. Maybe the schemes and the product and what's put on film, what's not put on film actually still matters a lot to these coaches. To me, and and I I think, again, I think that's more on the offensive side of the ball. On the defense side of the ball, I thought they rotated too much. It was hard to, for that defense to get any rhythm throughout the game. But, um, guys, it's just, it's just bizarre. It really is just bizarre. But I am curious, you know, if we were to start looking at each side of the ball, Tyler, probably starting off with you, Look at the offensive side of the ball. What are you pulling there as far as pros? Because there were some. We can't be blind to the fact that especially second quarter, the offense looked really, really good. Um, but what were the pros? And, you know, take your pick on what cons you want to discuss. <laughs> well, the the first pro for me, I mean, it's, you know, Kennedy Brooks. He's still Kennedy Brooks. You know, even after opting out from from a season ago, we still saw some really good flashes of what, you know, he put on, on tape, you know, going all the way back two, three years ago. So seeing him uh, run the football was really good. I thought that in terms of the offensive line, one pro for me was the fact that I did think they held up well in pass protection. You know, Spencer dropped back 39 times. He was pressured a handful, but he was only sacked one time. And honestly, looking back at it, probably shouldn't have been a sack altogether. So in terms of pass protection, I thought the offensive line played extremely well. Um, and then maybe, I guess, a couple other pros. And again, not to take not to take all of them, but um, I liked what I saw from the wide receiver position. You know, Jane Hazelwood, he looked pretty healthy. He was moving around really well, didn't seem to be uh, have any limitations with that knee. Um, and then the young guys, Mario Williams, you know, looks like he's going to be a player altogether. And, um, you know, he, he had an opportunity to, to catch a touchdown right there in the corner of the end zone. Obviously, it slipped through his hands. Uh, but you have to be excited about uh, the potential that we saw from him. And he's only going to get better as time and time goes on. So, Adam, I'll throw the pros back over to you before we get to the cons, because I feel like we are going to spend a little bit more time on that. So uh, who's a guy that stuck out for you in a, in a positive way on offense Saturday? Yeah, I was just impressed with the uh, receivers group. It was one that we were a little bit concerned about going into the season. Do we have enough depth? Do we have enough guys? Didn't have Theo Weiss out there. He's probably not going to be much of a contributor this year with his injury. Um, but you saw guys like Hazelwood, Mike Williams, and uh, or Mike Woods and Mario Williams. Um, you know, all have you know fairly similar stat lines that were um, you know showed flashes of things that they could do. And I think with some more snaps, you know, certainly one of those guys can rise up and be you know a counterpart to uh, marvin mims who is uh 
is still very impressive um, with what he's able to do. So I'm not I'm not nearly as concerned about the receiver group. Even guys like Brian Darby and uh, Trevon West got out there and, and played a little bit too. So that was encouraging to mm-hmm. see some of the end of the bench guys uh, get out and contribute and play yeah. quite a bit of snaps as well. Yeah, nine different receivers got balls on Saturday, so that's yeah. that's a good sign. And Darby was wide open in the end zone early on in the game, and Spencer missed him, so he should have had a touchdown with his stat line. Um, I went back and looked at. But for me, guys, yeah, wide receiver group was promising. Um, why Spencer Rattler continues to stare down Marvin Mims 90% of the time is frustrating when you watch what they were able to do. Um, and I, I actually – I know he didn't have a great game rushing-wise, but I thought in pass protection, Eric Gray was phenomenal. Um, identifying the blitzers coming in, whether from the linebacker level or the corner safety level. Um, I thought he did a great job. Not much to be excited about outside of that, in my opinion. So, um, Tyler, back to you. Just cons for what you saw. Um, Let's give us a couple. Uh, Going back to the offensive line, um, you know, I highlighted how good they held up in pass protection, but run blocking was just just bad for, for a large portion of the football game. And, you know, I guess talking individually, you know, Robert Congle, you know, isn't the most athletic guy in the world, but he plays tough. I thought he did pretty well, uh, you know, uh, consistently throughout the entire game. We saw a little bit of Andrew Rame towards the end of fourth quarter. And I think he, I think moving forward, Rame's probably going to get the bulk of the reps. Um, if Rame and Congle are even remotely close to one another, if, if Rame can make the calls and captain that line, then I think Rame should start. You, you know, start the guy who's going to be the, in the program for the next three to four more years. But you know, guys, oh, you couldn't run the ball to the right side of the offensive line. You know, whether that was, you know, Chris Murray, who he had his moments. Uh, he, he played well, has some has some good moments where he was physical, um, used his technique extremely well. But Tyrese Robertson, guys, he was not that guy on on, on, on Saturday and, and at right tackle. And Wanya Morris, please hurry up and get ready um, to, to take the field on that. But, guys, the, the biggest thing that stood out for me on the defensive line or on the offensive line was Oklahoma only ran the ball for 141 yards on Saturday. Those Baker and Kyler offenses that were, you know, were constantly in all about back in 2017 and 2018, they averaged close to 250 rushing yards a game. OU has to find a way if they want to get back to a production, the the same amount of production as those offenses, if they want to go as far as we think this team can and should go this season, then you've got to get back to that level so that Spencer isn't being asked to drop back and throw the ball 39, 40, 50 times a game. So um, run block for me was one. And then, I I mean, Adam, over to you. I mean, do you want to touch on that? <laughs> Spencer Rattler, what do you think? Well, I guess I kind of somewhat disagree. Like, Kennedy Brooks had success running the ball over six yards to carry. Eric Gray, not nearly as much. But – it's kind of kind of skewed though, numbers wise. I mean, I, I know that he had 14 carries, had 94 yards, but 32 of those yards came on one play. So it I still mean, counts in the record. I mean, it's, book, it still but, counts, but yeah. I mean, but I guess I look at that and I go, okay, Kennedy Brooks got 14 carries. I think he needs to be around 17 a game. I think that's a manageable number for him. That's not overloading him. Eric Gray got nine carries. I think he needs to be a lot closer to 12 or 13, if not maybe a few more. I think you can do that. I, I, OU ran a lot of wide receiver screens, like more bubble screens and wide receiver screens than we've seen since Ryan Broyles was in town. So Lincoln is definitely aware that he's got about two running backs that he really trusts and he doesn't want to overload them, but they can handle 17, 15 carries each. And that, that should be able to get you, you know, 180, 175 yards on the ground. It should be able to do it. And I think that will really help because if you can establish that run, that helps Spencer Rattler, that helps the O-line so much more. If you can just stick with it and establish it, 
Um, you know, Radler shouldn't be dropping back 39 times a game and, and probably even more considering that he had eight carries and some of those were scrambles. So that's, that's frustrating. That's a con. And that's not really necessarily a player performance. That's really a coaching performance. The, the strategy behind why you're calling those plays. It's like, you're almost way too conservative because Kennedy Brooks got, I think two or three carries there on the very last drive of the game. And we were just melting the clock and, mm-hmm. um, they I mean, they still count, but they're not as real, you know, running game carries as, you know, the rest of the game. So it's almost like he was too scared to even run his guys more than, you know, 10, 12, 15 carries. Yeah, I'm not sure what the balance is there, guys, because like you do want to keep those two healthy. And I get that. Um, and then, you know, it's the famous saying, like scared money don't make none. Right. So like you can't just hide them back there. But then you go to the other side and you're like, okay, we had a third and one in two lanes territory. And for two plays, we went negative three yards. We couldn't gain one yard to get a first down on that series that we honestly at that point in the game needed it. That could have been a kind of a hammer, uh, this game is over type of drive and we couldn't get it. Um, and so you kind of look at Lincoln and you're like, I kind of understand why maybe you don't want to run the ball uh, quite as much as we'd like you to. So. It, the whole thing is just bizarre, and I think my big thing, I think there's two on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, one's offensive line, but guys, we talk about it quite a bit, and a lot of other podcasts do, how there's this notion that Bill Biedenboe has till Texas to figure it out. Why? Why does it take till Texas to figure it out? So many other big-time programs are not dealing with this. I'll give Clemson this weekend a pass because they're going up against probably the best front seven in college football in Georgia last weekend. You should still score, but at least there's like – a legit reason to why Clemson's O-line struggled. We were going up against Tulane. You should be able to run the ball down Tulane's throat. In week one, in week nine, in week 12, in weeks, doesn't matter. You should be able to do that. And I don't know why this continues to be a thing that we just, we, and we're guilty of it too, all three of us. We just kind of give him a pass until Texas to see what it's like. And that, that has to stop. Um, second for me, guys, is, is it Spencer Rattler? You take away some of the strange decision-making that he had three or four times in this game, and it's a great stat line if you take away the interceptions. But if you watch the game, and even myself, being as someone who does not know quarterback mechanics, when a dude's throwing off of his back foot, when he has zero pressure anywhere around him, he should have had three interceptions. The pass interference call against Hazelwood was complete BS. That should have been a pick for Tulane. And then he had a strange intentional grounding call where he just – ran and threw it. And it, I don't think there was a whole lot of pressure on that play either. So I think I think the notion of, of who we think Spencer Rattler is needs to settle down a bit. Um, I hate to – I hope I'm wrong, guys. I really do because he will drive the success of this team. But we've seen it enough now where against good teams, he hasn't been great. And against tough situations, he hasn't necessarily been great. Um and you kind of saw going back to OU Texas last year, you saw both of those things come to light where he, he did play really well down the stretch, got the victory, but there was a massive time in there in the fourth quarter that game could have been over and the offense couldn't do it. And does that not sound similar to what we just saw on Saturday? So I think everything that we have said about Spencer and have um, put on his, his shoulders without proof of him actually being able to do that has to settle down until he starts proving he can do this consistently. So um, that's my rant against against Spencer. I'm a, I, I want him to do well. I hope this changes. But, guys, at some point you have to look at what's happening on the field. And 
the, his decision-making and his mechanics are our big question marks right now heading forward. Um, let's shift to the defensive side of the ball, guys. Start I with one last, I got one last yeah, thing, Corbin. Yep. Talking about uh, Rattler, and again, we're one game into this season, yeah. and all the talk about the, uh, going through the offseason was if OU was going to get to that place where we expected them to be this year, it was going to rely heavily not just on the defense, but could Spencer Rattler take that next step? Now, again, it's one game, but Spencer played – I think probably one of his worst games. And again, the stat line, you have to go back and actually watch the game, watch the plays uh, and how everything performed. The stat line was great, but even though he threw two picks, he should have thrown probably four. Mm -hmm. And against a team like Texas or a defense against like TCU or Iowa State, he probably does throw four picks. So um, he's got to, I I don't know if, uh, again, we're not, I'm not talking about the NIL. We're not doing that, but I don't know if he just rolled out of bed Saturday morning and said, okay, this is Tulane. I'm Spencer Rattler. I'm supposed to be the number one draft pick. I'm supposed to be the Heisman Trophy winner this year. I'm just going to go play. No, this is a kind of a look in the mirror moment. You got to put the work in during the week and not saying that he's not, but just rolling out of bed and expecting to go out there and put up numbers and, and, you know, carry this team to 50 or 60 points. It's not going to get it done. And then Adam, what you were talking about with the offensive line, and, and Corbin, you kind of nailed this point home too. Bill Beanbow, the talk is every year. As long as you get it figured out by OU Texas, second week of October, that's when nut cutting time gets here. That's when you figure it out. That's when your bread's buttered. But guys, OU can't afford to wait this year I- until Texas. Nebraska's front seven is good enough to give them fits. West Virginia is definitely good enough to give themselves fits. And we all know how tough it can be playing against Kansas State and Chris Kleiman's group. Um, but no, it's just one of those things where it's time after time again, whether it's lack of consistency for four quarters or the inability of our guys to come out from game one and be able to play at a high level like like guys at the University of Oklahoma should be able to play. It's something that we've got to get fixed, and um, obviously we're not going to learn too much about the the progression of this team going into this weekend. Oh, you should beat, should beat Western Carolina probably with their third-string guys, but – Definitely something to, to keep your eye on moving forward. So you touch on something very interesting there in regards to Spencer Radler, Tyler. And I think he was kind of the embodiment of the entire team. He was just kind of casual. It's kind of lackadaisical uh, play from him. Um, he kind of has that about him just in general, but I felt like it was especially the case on Saturday. And looking back at his decision-making, yeah, he made some bad decisions on some of his throws. Um and I think his footwork could be a little bit better. Everyone just kind of, you know, that's an armchair quarterback, just looks at and go, oh, he threw off his back foot. No, he stepped into his throws, but he could probably step into them a little bit better. He had several other passes that sailed on him um, that were not picked off. But I think really the decision-making for him uh, was really, uh, you know, shown in the runs and the scrambles that he had. Maybe they went for one yard, two yards, not a negative play uh, per se, but the pocket wasn't always collapsing around him. And, you know, as soon as he saw something that was maybe in the corner of his eye, he was taken off and he's not an effective runner. I mean, he might have, a, you know, a couple runs every year where maybe he squeaks through and gets 30 or something. But for the most part, like he's just not going to be an effective runner. Uh, case in point, look at some of the uh, film review that we put on our Twitter uh, over on Sunday. Um, there's some really good st- stuff from uh, the game that uh, we reviewed and um, there's great examples of him stepping up and just abandoning the pass pretty early when he really should be sitting in the pocket still. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we're going to go back to this time and time again, I feel like throughout this podcast, but let's take a look in comparison who we're trying to compete against. Go take a look at how Bryce Young and Alabama looked and they're putting in a, a they have got a brand new offensive coordinator. 
Mm-hmm. And Bryce Young crushed it, absolutely destroyed a better team than what we saw in Tulane. Mm-hmm. And the, my, my, my big concern, I think, right now, above all else about Spencer Rattler, is Lincoln, I think, said it today that, like, Spencer's still trying to, like, figure out the leadership role and, like, how he fits into that. Dude, we're in year three. This isn't like he just came on campus and he's starting as a true freshman. We're in year three, and you're figuring out the leadership role in the quarterback position? Mm-hmm. That's concerning. Very concerning. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that, but that was alarming to me. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I mean, because when the games are getting tight and tough in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, you need that leadership to be there. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not saying it. he's not capable of it. I think I saw some really good signs from him last year, especially in the bowl game against Florida. I saw some really good ways that he was interacting with teammates on the sidelines <clears throat> that really made me excited going into this year, and I didn't see that on Saturday. Um, so they need to they need to pull it together because, like you guys were saying, you you can't afford to wait until Texas to get stuff together. You can't wait until non conference is done to start working on stuff. Like you need to come out from day one and dominate and and do that across the entire board every game. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it just highlights the fact too. You know, guys going all the way back. Uh, you know, let's just f- uh, rewind five years ago, looking at the quarterback play at the University of Oklahoma. And looking at it from a standpoint of an entire roster where, you know, OU and Texas are talent-wise pretty dang similar. Texas, you could probably argue, is a little bit better. But when you get into these games, especially this year, like Iowa State, TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas, what's always been the, what's always been the thing that's put OU over the hurdle in terms of the last five years when it comes to, you know, winning Big 12 championships and competing at the highest level? It's been OU's had the superior quarterback play. They had it with Baker, they had it with Kyler, had it with Jalen for the most part. So when you get further and further into the season, I think the Big 12 this year is going to be not wide open, but I think that outside of maybe Texas Tech and Kansas, if you don't have your A game with you on Saturday, there's a chance you are going to you can have an opportunity to get beat each and every Saturday. So Spencer, if OU wants to get to that next step, if we want to run the table, win another conference championship, it's got to start with Spencer taking that next step. And honestly, even before Spencer – you got to get the offensive line fixed because it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. If, if the offensive line, if you can't run the football, if they can't hold up in pass protection, then it doesn't matter who you've got at the skill positions. Yeah, in complete agreement. Um, let's transition to the defensive side of the ball. I don't know about you two. I'm, I'm a little less harsh about what I saw defensively, even though there are certainly plenty to be harsh about. Um, Tyler, let's start with you. Let's get back into a positive mindset here. Uh, give us some, some pros from the defensive side of the ball uh, after Saturday. Yeah, um, had a chance. Obviously, they they played 31 guys. Um, Obviously, you know, we had a little bit of of a a question mark on why there were so many rotations as frequently as they were. I understand rotating offensive line or defensive linemen every two to three snaps, but I mean, guys, they were trotting out two to three different linebackers every other play. They were rotating safeties every other play. So um, that's one thing that I kind of am scratching my head about, but also it's kind of a positive too. Yes, we didn't expect to, you know, get into a one possession game with two minutes left against Tulane, but the fact that we were able to use this as an opportunity to see 30 plus guys play the field, see them get quality snaps in meaningful game time, I think that's a huge positive that's going to pay dividends down the road. Um, and guys, we saw flashes of it. This defensive line has a chance to be as good as what they were hyped up to be. I mean, we saw it when it mattered, when when they had to make a play. We saw it time in and time out. So the defensive line for me was one where. Uh, there were definitely more pros than cons in terms of their performance on Saturday. Yeah, I think the defense, you know, for what went wrong was pretty fixable, but I think there was definitely some encouraging signs. I think there's a lot to build on here. 
uh, I really liked the way the defensive backs uh, came up and attacked, you know, the short passing game, yep. the running game yep. on the outside. And now you've got some dudes that are, you know, much bigger physical, um, you know, bigger guys that can make those types of big tackles, maybe force some fumbles or something like that and just really clean up and not allow, you know, a lot of yards after contact or after the catch on a short screen. So um, that was really encouraging for me. I think I'll actually disagree with you a little bit, Tyler, in regards to subbing your defensive linemen. Corbin, you may not have seen this uh, on TV, but it felt like they were subbing those guys every two plays. And that sounds good in theory, but then you realize that a football field is about 53 and a half yards wide. So you're making a 25-yard jog over to the sideline, <laughs> resting for two plays, 25 yards right back. And that wears you down. Um, and that, a big reason why the no-huddle offense is around is not necessarily because of tempo or, or speed, but because the offensive line doesn't have to run seven yards back and forth to the huddle uh, every play because that adds up over time. So I honestly thought the, the subbing was way too much. They needed about four or five plays, maybe half a drive even, and just get in a groove and, uh, and you know build some consistency and momentum there. Instead, we were running guys on and off the field constantly. Third stringers were playing in the, in the first half a lot, and – like that's great experience for them, but it's also good experience to get them in in the late third quarter and fourth quarter when it's completely blown out and they can run, you know, an entire drive by themselves when they're completely fresh. So honestly, thought we kind of we tried to outsmart ourselves uh, in the substitution game and almost mm -hmm. like we. I don't know if this maybe got to the players or not, but maybe the coaches were like, ah, it's Tulane, we'll play our third stringers a lot in the first half and it just doesn't matter. So I don't know if that yeah. mentality was spreading there. Yeah, it was good to see um, individual performances in this game on defensive side of the ball that were a lot that were strong, but as as a unit, they they weren't. Uh, if that makes sense, and I think one thing I, I I do agree that like I have a mixed reaction on the on, on the subbing, right? Like it did give us a chance to see some of the younger guys who performed relatively well for the most part, um, but it just never felt like they got in a rhythm defensively. Um, and that's where I think it probably hurt the team, especially in that third quarter. Um, they did a really good job getting three and outs guys, but at the same time, like a team does have four downs to get a first down and two lane converted four of them, at least maybe five. And so they didn't take that final step as much as we've been ragging on the offense, as far as like, Hey, they had a chance to end the game. Well, so did the defense about four or five different times to really cut things off and say this is over, regardless of what the offense is doing. Um, three turnovers was a positive. I thought that was great. Um, had a chance for more. There was at least two or two or three of those. Um, but I think there were opportunities there to to increase that number. Um, but guys, yeah, I thought I thought Reg, um, Redmond uh, had a, had a great day. Back to his disruptive self coming off the edge. Reggie Grimes for a young guy thought flashed well. Included, I think he had a forced fumble um, in the game as well. So guys, individual performances, yeah, there were some solid ones to really look at. Um, but as a group, yeah, you just kind of, um, I wanted more. Yeah, I mean, a couple more things to kind of you know put a put a bow on this one for me. You know, we we talked about going into this season if there was going to be a question mark on this defense it's probably going to come from the defensive backs, particularly the safety position. And guys, for the most part, I thought Pat Fields and DTY played extremely well. I was very impressed with Pat Fields, uh, especially in the run game, coming up and making tackles, fitting, the, fitting those gaps. I thought he played extremely well. And guys, going back and looking over everything, and, you know, shout out to Bob Prisbill of Sooner Scoop. You know, he kind of, you know, put the snap counts out for everybody. This was absolutely shocking to me. There was so much competition, so much hype about the battle at the nickelback spot this this uh, offseason. 
snaps for this game. Billy Bowman, 61 snaps. Jeremiah Cradell, 12. So I, I bet that changes going into Western Carolina considering yep. Cradell was out with was it an injury, I think. For, that was COVID. Or COVID. Okay. So he was he was right. away from practice for a little bit. So yeah. I think they'll get his reps up. That seemed to be a consistent theme yeah. from guys that that were out. And and while I will say, you know, the moment wasn't too big for Billy Bowman. I thought he played extremely well in his, in his first game uh, of his collegiate career. So, um, you know, a lot of bright faces. It was good seeing guys like, you know, Jalen Redmond come back and play extremely well. Reggie Grimes coming off the edge, having the strip sack. I thought he played extremely well. Isaiah Coe, Kelvin Gilliam, they flashed at times. Guys, but in terms of the defensive line, Effort is the problem. Too many lulls, too many reps not being at 100%. If you're going to rotate 8 to 10 guys at defensive line, then you better be getting max effort out of every single one of those guys, every single rotation. And, you know, we talked about them playing 31 guys this this time. Now, I think that that's going to continue against Western Carolina. It should. But once you get into Nebraska, once you get into conference play, that's when your rotation is going to shrink. That's when you're going to start limiting the amount of guys that are going to play quality, meaningful snaps. Uh, in uh, in these football games, but my biggest takeaway from the defense is when that when that starting four on the defensive line is out there. When you've got Winfrey, Redmond, Isaiah Thomas, and Benito out on the edge, we saw it going all the way back and watching the game. Specifically, the last defensive possession where Tulane had a chance to win it. When you've got your four best guys out there on first, second, third, and fourth down. They absolutely abused Tulane's offensive line. So you've got to get that production le- and level of play every single snap if you want to be as good as a defense as we think they can be. So um, it's just consistent. It's just consistency and it's effort. Yeah, I would say the same thing, uh, but in regards to the linebackers, too many mistakes from them on Saturday. And, you know, I saw some good things from David Aguebu. I really liked the way he attacked, uh, you know, a yeah. screen pass at one point. I think that was the second quarter I saw that. Um, so I think he's still the guy. He, I, I really want to see one of those guys just absolutely step up and and be the guy and you know force one of the other guys to not have as much playing time. Um, not because I, I hate one or the other. It's just somebody needs to be dominant enough to say this is my position and mm-hmm. you know you're going to have to force me out of this um, to get the majority of the snaps. And maybe we'll see more of that as the season goes on, but we didn't see it Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, couldn't have said better. Corbin, have you got anything else before we uh, – I've got one last point I want to make, but go ahead, man. You know, I, I wish we would have saw a little bit more complimentary football. That's the thing we were lacking last year, right? Defense would go out and get turnovers. I think the majority of those turnovers ended up uh, with field goals, and that's just not going to cut it against good teams. Um, and so hopefully moving forward, they can be on the same page and they can be on the same page for mm-hmm. what OU football tweeted out. 40 minutes. We all hope it's 60 minutes, um, but 40 minutes would be a, a good start in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. And going back over the last, you know, 48 to 72 hours, you would have thought, looking at social media, looking at the message boards, you would have thought Oklahoma lost this game. But for me, going into this weekend, and I guess for the rest of the season, I think there's a silver lining that comes out of this performance against Tulane. And I believe we saw some real flaws with with this football team. And instead of us not, you know, waiting to find out about them, uh, not or excuse me, not finding out about them in non-conference play because of the lack of competition. Tulane, Western Carolina, Nebraska. This performance, I think, highlighted some weaknesses across this across the board. And I, you know, guys, I think we should probably go ahead and scrap the talks of an automatics, you know, seventh straight Big Twelve championship, a guaranteed playoff berth. It's a given that this team should be playing for a national championship. Now, I, all of these goals are still highly attainable and very realistic. But and again, it's 
it's not time to press the panic button. There's eight top 25 teams that lost this past Saturday, and OU wasn't one of them. So everybody, let's take a breath. Let's get back to work. Let's fix the mental mistakes, clean those up, the missed assignments, let's work to get better. Now, we're not going to find out anything, like I said, about this team going into this weekend, but you better go hang 60 or 70 on their ass and dominate both sides of the football. Um, And again, I think this game against Tulane, I tweeted this out after the game on Saturday. I think the game against Tulane has a chance to be a blessing in disguise for this football team because you heard all offseason about how good you were supposed to be, how you were going to breeze through conference play, set yourself up uh, to make a title run. Now you got to take a step back, dust yourself off, look yourself in the mirror, put your head down and get after it because I think if and when this team plays to the level that they did, especially uh, if they can duplicate that second quarter and play for 60 minutes of football at that level, they're a hard out for anybody in America outside of maybe Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to look at, um, and we'll kind of segue into our next segment here on stock up, stock down. Uh, some of the guys that we're really encouraged by and some of the guys that uh, we definitely need to see a little bit more of uh, that from. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll get us started here on offense. So no one can steal mine. Uh, my stock up is going to be Kennedy Brooks simply because in 2018 and 2019, it took him about half the year to really get on the radar, whether it was, his ability or just Lincoln Riley trusting him and giving him the ball, whatever it was, it took about half the year for him to really become the guy. And he didn't start Saturday. I think he came in maybe on the third possession or so, but I think he clearly established himself saying, Hey, I'm still Kennedy Brooks. I took a year off. I'm still the dude. I need the ball. And so I think that's really encouraging. Let's get him the ball right from the start. I know there's not a lot of options on the depth start there, but that was encouraging for me at least. Yeah, for me, I had I had Kennedy Brooks as um, as one of the the stock ups for the offensive side of the ball. I think for me, probably either probably Mike Woods. I also thought Jaden Hazelwood looked solid, um, especially you know after we were wanting so much more from him last year. But I think Mike Woods has a has a real chance to be a game changer in this offense. Again, going back to my previous comment, if we can get Spencer Rattler to see the field and not just Marvin Mims. This has this wide receiver group can be really, really good. Um, he just he's got to trust those guys. They're going to get open. He missed a few of them time and time again. Um, but I think Mike Woods, if you can start getting him the ball more and more, especially the ability to stretch the field, I think uh, this offense can be pretty dynamic. Yeah, I talked about Mario Williams earlier, um, and and he had an outstanding game. But for me, stock up on this one. I'm going Marvin Mims. You know, it didn't take long for him to remind. Uh, Oklahoma fans just how good and how special he is as a wide receiver you know going into his second year had five catches for 117 yards was one yard away from getting that touchdown uh, on that 51 yard throw from from Spencer Rattler but no he if if Marvin Mims stays healthy and they can keep Spencer upright and the, the offensive line can can figure things out collectively then Marvin Mims he's the the sky's the limit for this kid and there's no telling how you know how great of a season he could have from a defensive perspective, I also went uh, with a guy that sat out in 2020, which would be Jalen Redmond. Didn't play a perfect game. Uh, he looked a, a little bit heavy uh, to me, which I think is probably a good thing. You want him playing inside more. And mm-hmm. he had some moments where he was just disruptive. And I was so high on him after 2018. He played maybe like two or three games because of health uh, issues there. But mm-hmm. what I saw was a guy that could absolutely just blow up an offensive lineman and disrupt, um, which is what you want in a defensive lineman. So I saw some mm-hmm. of that on Saturday. That's really encouraging. And he was one of the guys, again, go back, check out our film review. He was one of the guys that went out on the field on those third and long situations. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really exciting to see, you know, putting him out there with Isaiah Thomas, with Winfrey, 
and Nick Benito, like that's, that's your scary, you know, Halloween uh, crew that's going in there and just um, making quarterbacks nightmares come true. Yeah. I'm going to stick with the defensive line. Um, Reggie Grimes was a guy and I spoke about him earlier. I think he had a pretty solid game. Um, the only way this team gets to where they want to be is if that second group of defensive, whether regardless of the level starts playing like the first group, we had moments with Reggie Grimes. I don't think it was a perfect game, but we had moments where there's some really positive things to take away. If he can continue doing that, um, that's really important to this defense. And guys, he wasn't a big name we were talking about in the offseason. So if he can step up um, in combination with some of the guys who we were talking about, really, really good chance for this defensive line to um, kind of take that that claim of we, you know, us thinking they're really an elite group. Yeah, I'm going to stay right there in that same area uh, and go with Nick Benito on on stock up. You know, whenever the Florida game ended last year and declarations for the NFL draft started to happen, we saw Ronnie choose to go. With, and then we saw Isaiah Thomas and Perrion Winfrey, Winfrey declare that they were going to come back and try to do something special. We said to ourselves in the group chat, you know, if this could impact anybody in a more positive way, if they decide to come back, it's Nick Benito. And seeing what Winfrey did, you know, demanding a double team each and every snap, you know, uh, Isaiah Thomas, he got his fair share of, of pressures and sacks coming off the other side. But guys, watching Nick Benito play, he just abused. Didn't matter if he was lined up on the left side or the right. The opposing team's tackles, Tulane didn't have an answer for him. He was able to do whatever he wanted on each and every snap. So Nick Benito, it was good to see him. It looks like he has made the change, uh, has made that jump, and excited to watch him moving forward. For going stock down on offense, I got to go with Anton Harrison. Uh, he had a rough Ooh. day. He had a rough day, in my opinion. <laughs> Just rewatching the film, seeing him look, um, you know, kind of slow uh, defending the edge on the pass protection, and then in the run game, um, just not as effective as I would have liked to have seen. Wanye Morris, I don't know if he played at all. I saw him nope. suit out. Um, yeah, so that was a little strange. We'll see if maybe he can come back and create some competition there at at least one of the tackle positions because I think those are both areas that oh, you can improve on. Swenson. Yeah, for me, it's it's the quarterback position, guys. We've we've hit on it quite a bit, um, and maybe based on performance alone, he may not deserve to be in this group. But based on the expectations that we have for him and that have been put in front of him, it has to be Spencer Rattler. Um, at this point in his career, guys, as as bright as his moments were last year, he's he's not at the level that we thought or think he you know can be. Um, so through game one, hope it changes, but yeah, my stock down has got to be Spencer Rattler. Yeah. I couldn't have said it any better myself, Corbin. I had Spencer Rattler for the exact same reasons. And we knew going into this year that he was expected to take that next step. Didn't have a fall camp, didn't have spring ball all of last season going into his first year as the true starter. Can't have there's, you can't have that excuse again this year. He did have the full off season to get ready. We expected big things. And again, it's one game. But basing it off this performance against Tulane, you've got to put him in that stock down category. So we'll see if he bounces back this weekend. On the defensive side of the ball, I am disagreeing with you a little bit here, Tyler. I'm not the biggest fan of Pat Field still. Um, I saw him come up and make some great plays and run support. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he did some solid things in the passing game, but he also had some, um, you know, mental breakdowns where, uh, and motion got, the best of this defense a couple times where um, they just did not adjust their coverages correctly. Um, mm-hmm. Or they had guys, you know, staring in the backfield uh, at eye candy, a fake handoffs and things like that. And Pat Fields got burned a couple times that way. So um, you would like to think that whatever he is, a fifth year senior at this point, um, you know, 
really smart guy everybody likes that you know he's he's experienced enough he can avoid some of those mental mistakes and stay assignment sound and um he wasn't doing that so um i you know i saw some of the same from dty uh justin Broyles might have had some assignments that he missed there too um so maybe just the overall safeties but um would like to see him be a little more consistent even if he is quiet and you know not doing a whole lot just don't be seen for the wrong reasons yeah yeah, I have. Um, I thought about going Justin Harrington here, just because at some point you keep hearing how talented he is, and he just doesn't make his way on the field. I'm actually going Shane Witter for this, based on some things Alex Grinch said during his press conference today. That basically Shane's got some things to figure out on and off the field. You don't love hearing that, and so he was a guy that I know all three of us were excited about heading into this season. He may be in the doghouse a bit uh, for who knows what reasons, but mm-hmm. if you've got your you've got your defensive coordinator feeling ballsy enough to put that in the media, that means some things are pretty seriously going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. So for me, Shane Witter is my stock down for the week. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I've th- again for me, stock down on defense. This is a guy he had his fair share of really good moments, made some really good plays on Saturday, but I'm going to go with Perry on Winfrey in this one. Just talking about the impact that he should have, especially against the opposition like a Tulane with a you know, seriously less talented offensive line compared to what he and his guys uh, present and bring to the table. For me, I've got to go with Perry on Winfrey simply because of effort. It's When he's giving 110% on every single rep, there's probably not a handful of centers or guard combinations that could handle him week in and week out. So, I, w- I want to see Perry on, you know, I, I assume he's in shape, but I want to see him get to that level where he's giving 110% rep in and rep out because when he does, his performance is off the charts. He's one of the best, you know, interior defensive linemen in America. Maybe we just need to set a standard. We'll talk with the marketing team and say, hey, no Halloween theme song unless Perry on has two sacks a game on average. Maybe that's the driving factor. We need to get him going. I don't know who put that thing together, but Adam, I texted you this during the game. They took that Hollywood or Hollywood. I took that Halloween theme and put it with the dubstep remix. It's pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. I did not even notice that. Uh, so, <laughs> you um, <already> team. <laughs> um, I, I know we wanted to ask this question. We've kind of already addressed it a little bit, so I'll just throw it out there for any final thoughts. Um, but what are you guys looking to see change going into the uh, Western Carolina game from uh, from this past Saturday? I hope we're not talking about anything. That's that's what I would love to see change. The fact that we've gone into this deep of a dive about what went right and what went wrong against Tulane is very mm-hmm. concerning. If we're doing that again a week from now, Forget the playoff, guys. Like, just I hate to do that two games in, but like, good lord, this should yeah. be a cakewalk. Starters in, maybe maybe you do play starters just a bit more, even though you don't have to, just to try to get these guys in some sort of rhythm heading to Nebraska. I know Nebraska is not much, but if there's one thing I did see from Nebraska when they played Illinois, is their defensive line does get pressure, and that is a good Illinois offensive line. So, yeah, maybe we see a little bit more of Spencer Rattler than we probably need to. But if that's what it takes to get this offense in a rhythm, be prepared for the following week. Hopefully, that's that's all we're we're talking about is is everything's back to butterflies and rainbows after uh, after this this weekend. But I don't think we're going to learn a whole lot. Yeah, three things for me. Um, start with Spencer. No turnovers. Quality decision making. Yeah. Um, you know, going through his progressions, making the right reads. Want to see that from him. Number two for me, it's it's the running game. 
It's the offensive line. There's no reason why OU can't go out and get 250, 300 rushing yards against this team. They are, you know, severely less talented compared to Oklahoma and what they present. So um, offensive line, let's get the running game going. I want to see all four running backs playing. Um, and hopefully we're just seeing, you know, Todd Hudson and Jade Knowles in the second half alone. And then on defense for me, we talked about how they, you know, they trotted out 31 guys against Tulane. And for me, I want to see 31 guys play on Saturday, but I want to see those twos and threes playing the a bulk of the second half instead of rotating in and out. And you've got to throw you got to throw your ones back in there at the end to try to save the game. So th- those three things for me. And if those three things don't happen, and we can't, you know, sure, uh, you know, get rid of the turnovers, we can't run the football. If OU can't run the football against Western Carolina, then we are going to have some things to talk about next week. I don't really know that I need to see anything on Saturday. I mean, we could not improve a lick uh, between games, and it, it doesn't matter. I mean, Western Carolina, the Catamounts, the four guys, they haven't won more than three games in like five years. So they're they're a terrible FCS program. Um, you know, just physically, they're not going to be able to compete. It's going to be a lot like a Missouri State or South Dakota State um, from uh, years past where the guys just come in, collect their check, and try not to get hurt. So yeah, no injuries, no (laughs) injuries. Yeah, I guess there, there you go. Uh, no injuries. That'll be, that'll be my answer. Cool. Well guys, um, beers and bets. Some of us had better weeks than others last week. Uh, let's hop into this segment. I'm out of beer. So we're going with the Vizzy today, guys. So there's uh, your sound effect. I can actually drink this, uh, in comparison to last week. I wasn't drinking on Tuesday, broke that by Wednesday. So should have done it anyway. Uh, but yeah, good to go here. So let me take a sip. But last week, kind of recapping, uh, Tyler, you and I have had better weeks, to say uh, say the least. Both of us went one and four. Uh, my week, I mean, guys, I had I had UCF minus five, or excuse me, minus five and a half, and they or they won by five. At that point, you just know the rest of the weekend isn't going to go that great for you, and that's exactly what happened. So overall records as things stand now, Tyler and I. Four and six overall. Adam leading the way, six and four. Thankfully, we're still early. Things can change in a heartbeat. Um, But Adam's going to be a prick and probably rub this in until Saturday. Uh, So looking forward to that. But, guys, let's hop into it this week. Fresh week. Adam, start us off with your number one pick here. And I'll make sure the uh, the lines are still alive and uh, and accurate. Appreciate that. I I do want to say I I thought I was headed for at least a four and one and the color analyst that was uh, calling the A&M Kent State game jinxed me twice. Kent State (laughs) had a chance to uh, beat the spread with field goals uh, inside the 30 yard line within the last five minutes. And both times he would not shut up about what the spread was. (laughs) I was screaming at my TV. I swear he had money on A&M to cover. Anyway. College kickers, man. Can't trust them. My first pick, I'm going Iowa. Four-point underdog on the road at Iowa State. I've been the voice of, I think someone else is going to meet OU in the Big 12 championship game. I don't think it's going to be Iowa State. I think they just have too many two- and three-star guys to really be a top-ten program the entire year like everyone's expecting them to be. Iowa looked really good on on Saturday against Indiana or in. Dinia, depending on uh, you know what jersey you look at, but um, I think Iowa can cover that spread and uh, and probably win outright. Cool. Yeah, love that pick. Uh, that, that's my fourth pick, but I'm going to follow you just for for easiness' sake. Iowa plus four against Iowa State, guys. Until Iowa State does it, I just have a hard time putting money on the Cyclones um, to to beat Iowa. So, and I don't think Indiana is that good. 
But Iowa did look good in that game, and mm-hmm. comparing it to what we saw from the Cyclones, it just wasn't even close. I'm hoping for the Big 12's sake that Iowa State was just future-focused, uh, not really looking to Northern Iowa. But, guys, Northern Iowa is not a bad football team, and they should have mm-hmm. been right for it. So, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go Iowa plus four against Iowa State. Stunned that that line is that high, to be frank. It's going to be fun to see college game day finally in Ames, uh, in Ames, Iowa. Just kind of goes to show what Matt Campbell's done building that program to where it's at right now, and that should be a fun atmosphere on Saturday morning. Um, number one for me, I know it was a tough week last week for both of us, Corbin, but you know we we got to spot Adam a couple games. You know, kind of got, got to get him feeling good, get his mojo up. So we'll we'll go with that and we'll bounce back this week. Number one for me, I'm going to the SEC. Missouri uh, traveling on the road to Kentucky. Kentucky favored by five points. Uh, both teams are coming off victories over non-conference opponents in their in their openers. Missouri knocked off Central Michigan 34-24. Kentucky just absolutely dismantled ULM 45-10. So nearly everything went wrong for the Wildcats starting uh, – or excuse me, went right for the Wildcats, um, starting with their quarterback, Will Levis. Penn State transfer had four touchdowns, almost 400 yards uh, th- th- through the air. And, you know, Kentucky got a hell of a wide receiver transfer from Nebraska – uh, that Scott Frost wish he could have kept him. Wandell Robinson, uh, he had over 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So Missouri beat Kentucky in Columbia last year, and I think this season uh, Mark Stoops is going to return the favor. So give me Kentucky minus five. Is it me with my second one? I uh, I guess, yeah, you picked the same one as me, Corbin. So I, I'll go with uh, Western Kentucky at Army. Over uh, 53 and a half on this one. Uh, Western Kentucky's got the Houston Baptist transfer at quarterback Bailey uh, Zapp or Zappy, I believe. Um, they put up quite a few points on uh, their opener there. Army scored quite a few points in their opener too. I'm hoping I just don't get bit on uh, very few possessions in this game. We'll mm-hmm. see, but I, I'm taking the over there. What's the over number, Adam? Fifty-three and a half. Fifty-three and a half. That's a lot of points. That's I'm sticking points. with the uh, the service academies. I'm going Air Force Navy. Uh, contrary to you, and this number scares the hell out of me, but the number is 45, and I'm actually going to take the under. Um, I could be way wrong. Hell, I went one and four last week, but those two, the teams don't scream points. So that's what I'm banking on, that as low as that number is. Um, if, if Wisconsin and Penn State can be below that number, so can Air Force and Navy. So that's what I'm banking on there, under 40 and a half. Nice, nice. Well, uh, I'm not sticking with the Service Academy for my second pick. I'm going out to Fayetteville. Uh, Texas traveling on the road to take on Arkansas. Hudson Card's first true road game. This game is going to be Arkansas's first home sellout in close to four years. So Fayetteville's going to be rocking. Can Hudson Carr handle the pressure and the craziness of that atmosphere? I like what Texas's defense, what they showed last weekend, and I'm not sure if Arkansas has enough skill talent on offense to, uh, to test that Longhorn defense. So Throw that in with Arkansas's defense giving up, you know, over on average of 200 yards last season on the ground. That doesn't bode well when you've got B. John Robinson and, you know, Roshan Johnson coming to town. So six and a half isn't very many points. So give me Texas in this one to cover. Before we before we move on, should we be impressed with Texas after last week's win? I, I find myself kind of leaning more towards that way. I thought that was a really good win. They were competent. Um, they didn't get in their own way. So that does scare me a little bit. That shows yeah. a, a better coach team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, ahead, you, could definitely, you could definitely tell that Tom Herman wasn't – it didn't look like a Tom Herman team. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah. You guys are, are giving me crap, and I haven't even been talking trash on uh, <laughs> having the lead in the picks through two weeks. Um, I think this week is even tougher to pick than last week. Um, but uh, for my third one, I, I'm taking Rutgers on the road at the Carrier Dome at Syracuse. 
two programs trending in, in different directions. Syracuse trending down, if they can go down any further, as probably one of the worst Power 5 teams out there. And Rutgers, who I think is is kind of having a little bit of a renaissance under Greg Schiano. They looked really impressive in Week 1 against Temple. Uh, their game got moved uh, day uh, from Thursday to Saturday as well. So Rutgers, two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they can cover. Yep, uh, solid pick there. Uh, moving down my list, guys, and I, I don't know why I didn't start this earlier, but I have a, a habit of taking Alabama, and I have a habit of going against Kansas, and I got away from that last week, so I'm bringing it back. Uh, Coastal Carolina, minus 22.5 over Kansas. I think that's a bloodbath, guys. Uh, I should have went against Kansas last week, and I just couldn't do it. South Dakota State so bad, but I just couldn't do it, and I should have. Uh, so that's my my third pick, Coast Carolina, minus twenty two and a half over Rock Chalk. I had that one on my card as well, but I took it off. Um, I, I don't know for some reason it's going to come back to burn me. But for my third pick, Corbin, I'm going up to your neck of the woods, Texas A&M traveling to Colorado. Game isn't going to be played in Boulder. It's actually going to be played at uh, what Mile High Stadium in, in downtown Denver. Uh, so. Hi, yep. so Colorado had a solid opening win against Northern Colorado. Corbin, you were in attendance for that one. I think Colorado could surprise a team or two in the Pac-12 this year, but no. they aren't. But, but they're not—they're not, they're not going to surprise <laughs> the Aggies on Saturday. So uh, th- this is going to be Hank King's second game of his career. And yes, I know he threw three interceptions last week against Kent State. Two of them were in the red zone, but I think he's going to play better to go along with Isaiah Spiller in the running game. Texas A&M has a really good defense, and I don't expect Colorado to score many points at all. So if A&M can get me thirty to forty points, I feel pretty good about this one. So give me Texas A&M to cover the seventeen. Colorado's bad. I know. I'm hoping it was just a one week off, kind of like a lot of other teams. But guys, they scored 14 points and a half against Northern Colorado. I mean, not ideal. How was the Ralphie experience? It was pretty cool. Um, man, it was just it was different, guys. I mean, I'm so used to being at a big time football program, and if I'm not there, I'm, the games I'm attending are pretty big time football programs. And my girlfriend went to Florida State, so she's used to it too, right? Big time program. Uh, showed out Sunday night. Shout out to uh, the Knowles. But like we walked in and it, it it felt like a it felt similar to like a little bit of a lesser Oklahoma State game. It was like it was like Texas high school football feel. Uh, and shout out to their ticket office because they drastically oversold the student section by like thousands of tickets. And so up until about halftime, the entire concourse was full of students just trying to find seats in other parts of the stadium with no help whatsoever. So uh, it was kind of a shit show on, on a couple levels. Uh, Colorado ended up pulling it out late, but beautiful stadium. Uh, well, beautiful venue uh, with the mountains in the background and everything. But guys, it was kind of just just strange. Hopefully it's better you know, moving forward. It'd be nice if we could duplicate that student section um, here in Norman. That'd be a, a nice breath of fresh air. Yeah, I was thinking the words to describe that atmosphere was Lloyd Noble Center until you talked about all the students showing up. So um, <laughs> this is the part of the picks where I don't feel super confident, but I have to pick uh, a fourth and a fifth game. So uh, I'm going to go with Toledo at Notre Dame, the uh, over on 54 and a half. It's a short week for Notre Dame, so and Toledo does have some offensive talent. We saw Notre Dame's defense look susceptible against um, what was, for the most part of the night, a fairly one-dimensional Florida State. So um, I'm just, and I, I think Notre Dame uh, also showed the ability that you know they might be able to score a few more points this year um, than they have in years past. So give me the over on that one. 
Nice. Yeah, guys, if there was one uh, unit in college football that I walked away really impressed with outside of what Bama did, it's it's Georgia's defense. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I genuinely, if, if Georgia comes out and plays their way they're supposed to, if they don't have a hangover coming off Clemson, I don't think UAB scores. And so that's why I'm going to go with Georgia minus 24 and a half. That is a big line from, from what I saw of that offense. Um, but I think Georgia will get back to running the ball. Those running backs should have a big, big day on Saturday. And I think they, uh, they handle that by 30 plus. So yeah. uh, would like to see the, the, the dogs take care of business there. And I think Georgia's uh, much like Georgia's defense. I think Clemson's defense is just as good as well. So that's probably what, you know, helped hold down JT Daniels uh, and the dogs offense on Saturday. Number four for me, I don't know why I'm picking this one, but I'm going NC State at Mississippi State. Over-under on this game set at 55.5. Mississippi State put up 35 against La Tech. NC State put up 45 against South Florida. When I saw this number, 55.5, I put it on my card immediately, and now I'm almost tempted to take it off because it seems too obvious of a sure thing. I don't know. I don't don't feel the best about it, but I think this one goes over. So uh, over 55.5 for the uh, Wolfpack and the Bulldogs. This is on my my list here as my uh, number five. Uh, I'm actually going to take NC State minus two and a half on the road. I don't feel great about having so many road teams on here uh, covering the spread or uh, hitting the over, but NC State looked really good. USF is is not a good program. Mysteriously, why? I, I have no idea. But uh, Devin Leary is back for the Wolfpack. He's healthy. Um, so I think they have a little bit more balance attack between him and, and Zonovan Knight. Uh, they, mm-hmm. had, they had a little bit of a two-headed uh, running monster going on Thursday night to open. So if Louisiana Tech and Austin Kendall, who nearly beat out Kyler Murray in 2018, so we saw him have like a 60-yard touchdown run last Saturday. If they can do that to uh, Mississippi State, I think NC State can can do that, if not more, uh, as well to uh, to our old friend Mike Leach. I think that's a good pick as well. Um, to round things out for me, pick number five, I'm going we, to – We were so close. We were so close <laughs> to get – Oh, Tyler. We were just so close. Oh. Can, can I, if, if you're okay with it, I'd love to put in my fifth pick. Uh, Go ahead. You know, okay, thanks. Man, we're just – I was literally thinking, like, after this segment, I was going to give Tyler a shout-out. Like, we made it through beers and bets without it. Now we can't do it. So, you know, better luck next week. Um yeah, thanks for giving me some of your time, Tyler. Uh, I'm going back to Pac-12 country. Uh, had BYU over Arizona last week. BYU had every chance in the world to make that cover, uh, and they just didn't. I'm going to stick with that. I'm actually going to say St- San Diego State. Uh, the line right now, at least last I checked, was even. I'm going to take them over Arizona. Again, I just I don't like Arizona. Uh, and I think San Diego State has something to play for in that game. Um, anytime you can start playing those Power Five um, teams, so I like San Diego State there. Shout out to uh, our friends Kimmy and uh, Tom Green working on that San Diego State project. So um, don't screw this up for me, guys. That's my fifth pick. Can I go now? If you want to, I mean, it's your pod. So well, hold on. Uh, San Diego State screwed me last week on picking them. So good luck there. Uh, now you can go, Tyler. Okay, well, pick number five for me now that we've got all that all that out of the way. Um, I'm going down to the Sunshine State, uh, Florida, traveling to South Florida in this one. Um, 28 points is a lot. And in Florida's home opener, you know, they rushed for over 400 yards, four touchdowns against FAU. That's a horrible recipe for, for South Florida, whose defense gave up near almost 300 rushing yards and a 45 nothing loss to NC State a week ago. So I expect Dan Mullen to lean heavily on the running game. And I'm, I'm going to lay the points in this matchup, so – Give me uh, Florida to cover the 28 points. 
I think that's a smart one, especially with uh, South Florida getting blanked uh, the week before. So you might be on to something. That's why it was, this is a hard week, guys, because so many teams just played so mediocre last week. Like I would love to take Texas A&M, and Texas A&M didn't do really much against Kent State. Uh, I would love to take Colorado with those points, but Colorado struggled with Northern Colorado. Florida didn't look great from the scores I saw, even though I didn't watch. It was just you, you want to find something that gives you confidence, and there's not a lot out there right now. And there's a ton of teams playing FCS opponents that are off the board, so there's just slim pickings. Yep. Yep. All right, guys, let's move on uh, as we do each and every week. Score predictions for OU Western Carolina. Uh, There's not a line for this game, if I remember correctly. Um, So curious to hear your thoughts. Tyler, we'll start with you. I have nothing more to say than I hope that they get it figured out this week. It's a seriously inferior opponent that we're going to go up against uh, in Norman on Saturday. So I'm going to go 66 to 13. Um, put this thing away early. Get the second, third string guys in there for the most of the second half. I want to see Caleb Williams play. I want to see the third and fourth string running backs play. So um, let's put it away early and get ready for Nebraska. So 66-13. I'll s- oh, go ahead, Adam. Well, I was just wondering if the team was going to play 40 minutes or 60 minutes. Um, <laughs> and uh, if anyone's missing that joke, it's because the uh, OU Twitter account probably was thinking basketball, saying we got to play a full 40 minutes. And then uh, that tweet we got deleted. We don't <laughs> do that either. <laughs> we don't do that either. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, I would love to predict a shutout. But uh, I think I'm going to go uh, very similar to Tyler here, 66 to 3. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be right there with you. We were all way off last week, so who the hell knows what's going to um, happen this week. I'm going to go 63-3 uh, to three is my prediction there. So, um, guys, that's that's a wrap on our ends. Um, anything we want to add before we uh, tell the listeners how to find us? I'm good. I think we covered everything. Yeah, beat the Catamounts, right? Oh. Beat the Catamounts. <laughs> Get us out of here, Corbin. Yeah, guys, uh, hit us uh, up on the Mainline Pod 1 on Twitter. Doing some cool stuff right now with releasing some of our betting picks and graphics and videos. So we'd love some feedback on what you guys think there. Uh, if there's any segments you want to hear from us about, hit us up. We're all open to all ideas. Uh, I wouldn't say any of us are the smartest bunch in the shed. So we will take any outside criticism or thoughts that we can absolutely have. Uh, besides that, we'll be back here next Tuesday as we head into Nebraska week. I'm so pumped to be uh, back in person next week. So anything else, guys, before we head out? That's it. Awesome. No injuries. There you go. No injuries. All right. We'll see you all later.